0: Hello, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. I want to welcome you today for our second installment in a message series series we've entitled Life Change Challenge. If you want a better year in 2014 than you had in 2013, would you say amen? amen? Some of you don't want that. That's amazing. No, I think all of us do, whether you said amen or not. I want a better year. I want to make a better use of my time. I want to be all that God wants me to be. I don't know that any I don't know anybody who said no nah, 2013 was the peak. I hope it's just all downhill after this. I I really want to slide into the ditch of mediocrity. That's my goal. I don't know anybody like that. So today we're going to give you another installment. Last week we gave you a life-change challenge. If you read your Bible every week, God will change your life and we gave out reading plans and you can go online and catch that message again. Today, I've got another life change challenge for us, and there's an outline inside your bulletin that I'd love for you to follow along with me uh, as we walk through this. And the life change challenge is this that building relationships with other Christians will change my life for the better. Now, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, simply raise your hand if you didn't get a pen on the way in, or ushers will bring one to you. But you and I need to understand that God never created us to be independent. In fact, what He wants us to do is He wants us. Um, to be together on this. And so point one at the top of your outline is this, is that God never, God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. And I'm going to be talking with you about that uh, this morning and why that's important. The Bible has tons to say about it. I only have a few minutes, so let's get going. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, if it would take me hours to talk about all that your word says, about how important it is that we live the Christian life together the right way. Lord, today I'm going to hit a few highlights, and I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way. Remind us, Lord, about why it's so important for us to reach our fullest potential, that we rely on each other and we build relationships with each other. Speak to us, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. You could write that in all caps, the never in the blank there, and it'd still be true. You can't say it emphatically enough. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul explains why. I'm going to be reading you verses 17 through 27, but I'm going to start and put the 20, uh, verse 27 up first because it's kind of the summary. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. When you and I become Christians, we don't just become Christians in isolation. We become Christians as part of a body. My hand is part of my body. So is my head. So are my feet. And Paul says that's the way it is with the Christian life. When you become a Christian, you're not alone. There are many Christians and God has arranged things so that each one of us has a role to play in his church. He doesn't want us to be Christians alone. And he goes on to say this. He says, if the whole body were an eye, well, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, well, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And this makes for harmony among all the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. If one part's honored, then all the other parts are glad. And that's the way God wants us to be as Christian brothers and sisters. If you and I want to have the best year in 2014 we can ever have, then we need to understand we weren't created. We didn't. Uh, God didn't create the church so each one of us could be compartmentalized and independent of each other. He wants us all to come together like a body, and that way we'll strengthen each other and encourage each other. And if we work together, we'll reach potentials we could never reach on our own. He doesn't want us all to be hermits off climbing up in the mountain somewhere, don't want to hear anything, see anything from anybody else. I'm just going to be spiritual on my own. It's not the way... God wants us to be. And that brings us to the note in your outline a relationship with Christ is personal but not private. A relationship with Christ is personal but not private. And I want to go right out of that because I've heard, I've, I can't tell you how many times people have told me this. When I've met with them in my office or other things and I've talked to them about what it means to have a relationship with Christ and getting them involved in the church, getting involved in a small group, getting them to talk about sharing their faith. Hey, you know, I understand what you're saying there, preacher, but. I gotta tell you, my faith is personal and it's private. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about faith being that way at all. Deeply personal, yes. Private, no. In the first place, how on earth are we supposed to go and make disciples of all nations? That'd be the great commission if it's private. Hey, I hope you find Jesus. I ain't telling you nothing. <laughs> I mean, how could that be? Well, that wouldn't make any sense. But even when it, but it's not just in evangelism, it also comes in our relationships with others. Listen to what John wrote about this, Jesus' disciple. He said, we love each other because he loved us first, speaking of Jesus. And he, he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. He goes on in that same passage and he says, you say you love God. Well, how can you say you love God whom you can't see if you don't love your brother in Christ whom you can see? And that's a very good question. In our world today, there is so much strife. There is so much hatred. There are lawsuits flying all over the place. And even if something doesn't go to court, there's still lots of people who just won't speak to each other ever again. And our culture is dying to see people who can actually work through problems, who can forgive each other, who can co-labor, who can share things in common. Where are they going to find that if they don't find it in the church? And that's why John also said in John 13, 35, he's quoting Jesus here, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Our world is looking for proof that this is real, that God really did send his son into the world, that a relationship with Christ really will change us. best way to prove it to the whole world is by demonstrating it. I mean, if they see our unbelieving friends and neighbors, people who don't give a sniff or don't have a clue about church, if they see you and me praying for each other, helping each other, meeting together, encouraging each other, well, they'll go, I don't have anybody in my life doing that. I want that. Long before I ever got in uh, ministry at a church, the first ministry I was ever a part of as a profession was a ministry to high school kids called Young Life, and um, I served with Young Life. It's a great outreach ministry for teenagers, um, and I served with them all around the world, but I served with them in Houston, Texas. And I loved it. I never forget that uh, what we did is we had weekly meetings for all these kids. We called them Young Life Clubs, and we would rent out a uh, tennis club yeah. in Houston, and we'd have our meetings there on Monday nights, about seven o'clock, between seven and seven thirty. We'd get started sometime there. Well, about five fifteen or so, we'd have dinner with our volunteers, and they'd come straight from work. And we'd get our volunteers who were going to help. We'd have a leaders' meeting, and then right after that, we'd have our club meeting, our meeting for the kids. Well, there was one young man, I'd just been trying forever to get him to come to Young Life because he'd had all kinds of problems in his family and had some real discipline problems in school and all kinds of things, but he always said he could never find a ride. So I said, well, if you're willing to come early, until I find you a ride, you can ride with me. And so for a couple weeks, I brought him to the leaders meeting that was before the meeting designed for kids, and he just kind of sat in and watched the whole thing. And then over the next couple weeks, I found him a ride and said, well, so-and-so can bring you. You don't have to come to this meeting anymore. Well, the third week, this kid shows up on his own. He rode his bike, and it was miles. And I said, well, I don't think you understand. You don't have to come to this meeting. The meeting for the kids starts at 7, a little after 7. And he goes, oh, I know. I said, well, why would you come to this? And he goes, well, if it's just all the same to you, I'd love to come here. He goes, I've never been around a group of people who like each other the way you all do. He wanted to sit in with our volunteers. He said, you guys genuinely care for each other. I mean, he came from a divorced home. He'd been in all kinds of trouble and fights at school. He didn't have any friends. He said, I love this. I mean, he just loved the way we would joke around, that we'd pray, we'd break bread together, have a meal together, we'd serve together. He goes, I love this. It was worth him riding his bike on his own. He was, that was more attractive to him than the meeting we'd set up for his friends. And you and I have friends and neighbors that are exactly like like that. They are dying. They are dying to see people who can actually get along because they don't get along at work. They don't get along with their spouse. They don't get along with their kids. Where are they going to find somebody who does this right? And how are we going to demonstrate that if it's personal and private? Nope, don't want to let anybody in my life. Well, you can't. and Neither can I. Because our love for one another is the proof that the world is looking for in fact, when you find the early church right after the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the disciples on Pentecost Sunday, Peter preached a sermon that convicted thousands of people. 3,000 people were added in one day. And after they were all baptized, they got the church organized. And this is from Acts 2, this following passage here. But it tells us that the, this is the next note in your outline. The early church was all about relationships. It was all about relationships. People didn't just become Christians and scatter They became Christians and got close. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and the possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, and there it is again. Each day God added to their fellowship. Why? Because people in Jerusalem back in that day, just like the people in Montgomery or Prattville or Wetumpka or wherever else anybody's going to hear this message, they're looking for that today too. And how are they going to see a relationship a loving relationship, a restoring relationship, an encouraging relationship if they're not going to see it in us. And how are they going to see it in us if it's personal and private? Don't want to let anybody into my life. Got to keep it all to myself. I'm glad when Jesus came, he gave away everything. He didn't keep his love to himself. They took his robe off of him and nailed him to a cross for the whole world to see. He held nothing back. wasn't private to him. Deeply personal. And he prayed for each one of us, and it's time that you and I understood this and we embraced this, and if you and I are going to have the best 2014 we can possibly have, then we're going to need each other. And that's the challenge for today. Am I going to try to go through life on my own, or am I going to be a part of what God always intended? Because I need other Christians, and so do you. That's the way God rigged it. It's all about relationships. And that brings us to point, point two here. Building other relationships, building relationships with other Christians will help us become mature in our faith. Well, if I come to Christ and I get saved, isn't that enough? Well, if I fall in love with a girl and I have a wedding, isn't that enough? Uh, probably not, no. The wedding's important, but then comes marriage. And wedding is one thing, marriage is something else. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah, somebody went amen. <laughs> the wedding is one thing. Marriage is something else. Coming to Christ and getting saved is one thing. Maturing in our faith, being discipled in our faith, that's something else. Now, in order for the wedding to amount to anything, you need a marriage. In order for your salvation, after we get saved, to become all we need to be, we need to mature. God doesn't want just the people to sit around, okay, I came to Christ, now let's wait for the next 50 years till I die. What does he want? He wants us to mature. And we need each other to help that happen, because I don't know everything, and neither do you. Well, then we ought to help each other. In fact, if you want to know what the job description is for people like me, pastors, here it is from Ephesians 4. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gives to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. I'm in that list there. Their responsibility, here it is, is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. He's talking about, Paul's talking about like a body there again. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. Please circle the word mature there. Mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We're supposed to become just like Christ. We surrender our lives to Christ. He forgives us our sins and washes us clean. Now let's get on with it. Now let's become like him in every way. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, this is where we help each other do that. And there are five important ways. And I've listed them for you in your outline. And here's how we're going to spend the rest of our time together today. First of all, if you and I are going to become mature and healthy and grow then we need protection. So A, you and I, we can protect each other. Well, from what? Well, there's a devil out there. He would love to pick us off with all kinds of temptations to sin and to divide us. There's all kinds of false teachers out there teaching all kinds of crazy junk. You get on the, you can listen to various things on the radio or late night television and people tell you all kinds of things that are in the Bible that aren't in it at all. Well, how are you going to be able to defend yourself against that and sort through falsehood from truth? Well, other Christians, as we study it together. Hopefully, it's one of the reasons you come here. We can help each other. Two people are better than one. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 4. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back-to-back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I can watch your back, and you can watch mine. I've got blind spots. So do you. But if we meet together regularly and encourage each other regularly, then I can point out some things you can't see. And if there's a temptation that comes your way, and you're going, man, I'm thinking about doing this, hey, don't give in to that. Let me pray for you. And that can make all the difference in the world of whether or not I maintain my marriage vows or commit adultery, whether I fudge on my income tax or not, whether I'm willing to forgive somebody and save a relationship and a family. And all that could happen if I got a friend who's holding me accountable, somebody who is encouraging me and helping protect me from a bad decision, from a temptation I could never handle on my own. We need each other. We can protect each other. Here's the second thing, why it's important that we meet together and why relationships are invaluable if you flip your outline over. You and I can encourage each other. And let us not neglect our meeting together, Hebrews 10.25 says, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Jesus is coming back soon. We need to encourage each other. Why? Because sometimes life is hard. Some of you had a great year in 2013. Some of you, 2013 was the hardest year ever. You lost a loved one. You might have lost a job. Your marriage might have fallen apart. Your kids might not be listening. Money's tight. Health is bad. Even if you've been working your tail off, sometimes it seems like you're going nowhere. And I cannot stress how strongly it is and how important it is that we have other Christians in our life to come alongside us and encourage us. Encouragement is that pat on the back. It's that phone call when you're really down and somebody's called, hey, I just want to call you and tell you what a good job you're doing. Just at the time when you're going to give up. That email, it's a timely email. And it's just the hardest day and you read that and you go, oh, okay, I can go another day now. We all need that. Paul tells us to do it, First Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. I got a couple of encouraging emails this last week and made my day. And usually they start out and they go, I know you get tons of these things. Uh, I really don't. (laughs) Okay, That's great. I mean, all of us get some of those things. We also get emails that are not so encouraging. You know, the ones that are like single space, you've got to scroll way down to get to the bottom. A friend of mine said, told me when we started getting emails, he said, yeah, the long ones, it usually doesn't take five pages to say good job. Okay, it's probably a problem. But I can't tell you how nice it is to have the short ones that just say, hey, I want to tell you you're doing a good job. So do you. I mean, if you're a mom and somebody notices how hard you've been working to raise your kids, if you have busted your tail trying to keep up your house and your car and everything else and on top of all, pay the bills and all these things, and a neighbor comes by and says, hey, you know, you've done a really good job taking care of your yard. This house looked terrible before you all moved in. Good job. Well, thank you. And without that encouragement, you go, we need to move. This place is a dump. But that little bit of encouragement can change everything. And it's certainly true in our Christian walk. I'm so discouraged. It seems like there's never going to be an answer to prayer. And then somebody else goes, hey, I really appreciate you. Can I pray with you? Yeah, I'd love it. And then even if we're in the emergency room, waiting room at the hospital, or even if we're standing outside of a mortuary, or even if we're just in the middle of August and it's nothing, no special holiday, no special worship service, all of a sudden, it's like the presence of the Lord is there and there's encouragement. I can go another day. And so can you. We need to encourage each other, and we can. If we meet together regularly, we can encourage each other. We can pray for each other. We can teach each other, point C. I mentioned before there's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of things you don't know. Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. Please underline that. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. We want you to be in small groups here. We'll talk about connect groups in a minute, but when you're in a small group... There's a lot of advice and counsel you can give each other, things that I could never tell you on Sunday morning. A, I don't have enough time. B, I don't have all that insight. There are people in in our small groups here, there's brothers and sisters in Christ in this church who can tell you things about finance or tell you things about raising kids, tell you things about your career direction, about knowing God's will that are amazing. And if you and I will spend time building those relationships, oh, we can give each other good counsel. The older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to take care of their homes and do good. In that same passage, Paul writes to Titus, he says, also tell the younger men to listen to the older men. So the logic is this, the older men teach the younger men, the older women teach the younger women. Those of us who've been Christians for a long time, we teach the newbies. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps all the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And that's my desire for our whole church this year, that you and I would be healthy and growing and full of love. But how am I going to do that if I don't know what the Bible says about finances, if I don't know what the Bible says about marriage, if I don't know what the Bible says about forgiveness, if I don't know what the Bible says about addictions? But we can teach and counsel each other. I can't do this on my own. We need each other. Point D, you and I can hold each other accountable. I've mentioned this in passing. Let me give you a couple of verses for it. Let a righteous man strike me. It'll be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil in my head. My head will not refuse it. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And some of you just marked it and said, oh, I'm sending my brother that. That's a good one. <laughs> Hey, that's not just for your brother. That's for me. That's for you. If you hate correction, you're stupid. That's in the Bible. I didn't say it. Get mad at Solomon, okay? But it is stupid if I'm not willing to have correction. Do you have anybody in your life? Do I have anybody in my life who's willing to tell me the truth? Where am I going to find those people? Well, that's why we want you to get in a small group. You build relationships with people, and over time, you get to know one or two people really well, and then you can kind of pair off and say, hey, you know, during the week, can we get together and kind of hold each other accountable? Because I want to get serious about reading the Bible. I want somebody to pray with me. Would you do that for me? Hey, I want to get serious about an exercise program. Would you partner with me? Hey, I want to get serious about spending time with my family, and I need some accountability. Would you help me? Accountability does wonders. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I don't need yes men in my life, and you don't need yes men in your life. We need real friends who will tell us the truth. They'll say yes when it's yes, and they'll say no, that's a dumb idea when it's a dumb idea. Can we all agree that that's true? Yeah. Point E, we can restore each other. See, even if we're teaching each other and encouraging each other, even if we're holding each other accountable, we're still going to do dumb things. We're still going to sin. We're still going to fail. What then? It sure is nice if you have a friend. I mean, remember what I read before in Ecclesiastes? It said, if two people are better for one than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls when they're alone, they're in real trouble. We're going to fall. Well, who's going to help us back up and dust us off and go, come on now. Let's get going again. I got off my diet. Krispy Kreme was having a special. All right. Tomorrow's another week. Let's start again. Let's program your GPS to steer clear of Krispy Kreme. Let's start again. I really blew it with my wife. Yeah, you did. Here's what you need to say in apology. Go apologize to her. Will you come with me? I will. Man. Now we're talking life change. Now we're talking marriage change. Now we're talking victory. Not alone. We can restore each other. Is that what the Bible says? Galatians 6.1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, fill in the blank, then you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That's why we need accountability and encouragement and all the rest of it. Now look, if you and I are willing to do these things, this is going to be the best year ever. So John, if it's your responsibility, to encourage us to do this. how's Center Point going to help? Well, here's how we're going to help. Point three: At Center Point Fellowship Church, we are constantly organizing connect groups. You're going to hear us throughout this whole month doing our best to push you into a connect group if you're not in one already. We're glad that you come and work for worship on Sunday mornings. It's, it's vital that we worship God together. But if you're only experiencing worship on Sunday, you're only experiencing half of what we got, you need to be in a small group, in a connect group. A connect group are six to 16 people, just like you, meeting weekly for fellowship and prayer and sermon-based discussions of the Bible. What's a sermon-based discussion? Well, if you've never noticed it before, if you've never been to a connect group, this little flyer that we hand out every week, the first half is my outline, the second half are connect group discussion questions. You show up at somebody's house, these are connect groups meet, and some of them meet in Wetumpka, some in Montgomery, some in Prattville. We even have one that's meeting in Hope Hall. If you don't know where Hope Hall is, well, go find it, okay? But the point is we have connect groups meeting all over the place. Some are Tuesday night. Some are Monday morning. Some meet in a restaurant. Some are women's groups. Some are men's groups. Some are empty nester groups. Some are groups with people like nests are full, okay, nesty groups or whatever you'd call those, lots of kids, okay? So we've got groups. They're available all over the place. You don't have to do any other homework. You could read these over before you come, and you'd be ready for the discussion. Part of it, you're going to look up Bible verses and discuss it. Part of it, you're going to get to know people. Part of it, you're going to pray for each other, and you're going to figure out ways to apply this stuff. And if you and I do this, your life will change. My life will change for the better. And we have groups forming now. But, John, you're supposed to say this stuff. I know. I'm the professional. Let me let you hear from a satisfied customer. Okay? Todd and Stephanie Hickman joined the church this last year. They got involved in a connect group, and here's what they have to say about it.
1: We are Todd and Stephanie Hickman, and a little over a year ago, I moved from Spokane, Washington, to Prattville, Alabama, to take on a new job opportunity. And that led us to be a part of Center Point.
2: One of my biggest concerns of moving to Alabama was that we had a great church where we came from in Spokane. A Great small group that we were involved in, uh, great relationships, made li- lifelong friends, uh, and each one of those people in my group helped me grow spiritually. So one of my concerns in moving to Alabama was that we wouldn't be able to find a church like we had in Spokane. So I began researching um, churches online to see what we could uh,
1: find for, that would fit our family. After taking the job, it meant that I was going to be down in Alabama for about six months before my family could come down, and uh, Stephanie was doing a lot of research online. I was driving around to different churches, visited a few of those churches, and day one when I walked into Center Point, I knew that's where we were going to be at. And the main reason is because I could tell how dedicated they were to teaching the Word, living the Word and most of all, that they had small groups.
2: Before moving, Todd had called and said, I have found the church for us. And uh, the first week of being here, he said, we're going to Connect Group. And I was like, okay, let's go. And we went and um, I felt like we were at home. We felt so accepted. Everybody was so warm and welcoming. Um, And I just knew that it was the best fit for our family.
1: The transition from moving from Spokane all the way to Alabama has been Seamless, And if you would have asked me that before we moved, or before we made the decision, I would have thought that um, you'd lost your mind.
2: Our connect group has basically become our family. Um, Being 2,500 miles away from family um, makes it hard around the holidays. um, We were, um, our connect group uh, family invited us to go to um, Thanksgiving with them. So we spent Thanksgiving with them. and then turned around at Christmas and spent Christmas with them. And I can't tell you how much that blesses me as a mom, um, to have somebody invite us to uh, be with them in their family. Um, And that's just been a huge part of um, the transition down here has uh, made me feel and our family feel so welcome.
1: Personally, I've learned more about God since I've been down here than I ever have. Um, I've spent more time in the Word than I ever have, and um, it just spiritually, it's uh, lifted me to a nev- the next level.
2: Everyone in that Connect group has touched our lives in some way. Absolutely.
0: You can applaud that, sure. Inside your bulletin, you'll find a flyer that talks about connect groups and how to get online and sign up. Today, out in the lobby area, you'll see a sign-up table where you can sign up for connect groups. There are people all around the room who are wearing one of these gigantic blue stickers, okay? And it just says, ask me about connect groups. They're in connect groups. They'll be glad to tell you. There's no reason to not sign up for a connect group. Well, John, what if I can't find one I like or at the right time? We'll start another one. I mean, we're committed to this. Because this will change our lives. You were not meant to live in isolation as a Christian. Neither was I. We can't do it. So if you and I want to have a life change challenge, here it is. It's the last point on your outline. Life change challenge number two. Life change challenge number one, by the way, is reading your Bible every day it will change your life. If you commit to reading it and praying and engaging God on this. Life change challenge number two is... I will actively participate in a connect group weekly so I can build meaningful relationships with other Christians. If you don't have a small group, get one. Will we help you? You betcha, Red Rider. we will. You betcha, that's what we're going to do. That's my job. That's the job of our elders and our staff, to help make that possible. And we will not stop until we get everybody in a connect group, if we possibly can. It's how to have the best life possible. There are directories with descriptions of every group, pictures of the people who lead them even, out available at the info table. And I hope you and I will take advantage of that. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to come to you in prayer. I thank you for your word to guide us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us. And I thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ right beside us who can walk along beside us and encourage us and protect us and teach us and hold us accountable, and restore us when we blow it. Oh, God, I thank you I don't have to do this Christian thing alone. Lord, I pray that you will guide us all into meaningful groups. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.